NFL Draft Week. It is finally here, and the draft begins on Thursday with the first round. I am amped. I'm pretty sure the Redskins are going to end up taking Chase Young, but if they did take Tua or they did take somebody else, this would be insane. I cannot wait to see what happens. Amped. Absolutely amped. Now, I don't know what the sports world is going to talk about after the draft. We'll probably break down the draft a little bit, but then what? Very curious to see what happens. I know the last dance came out, so maybe we'll just break that down to no end. That sounds awful. Can't do that. Just enjoy the last dance. Just enjoy it. That's it. Welcome to another episode of District Divided. I am your host, Amit Singh. This week, Benjamin Robinson, creator of GrindingTheMocks.com and good friend of mine, joins me to talk about mock drafts and talk about the NFL draft and, you know, who he sees going to the Redskins and what he thinks of the top of the order in the first round. Aside from that, we're going to continue the Dwayne Haskins film breakdown, part two. We go through those final four games that everyone's been talking about. Were they really as good as people said, or were people just sort of overhyping him? We get into that. And finally, a little fun segment, the best draft move the Redskins have made in the last 20 plus years, and the worst draft move the Redskins have made in the last 20 plus years. Decided to look at my lifetime only just to make it a bit easier. Otherwise, I'd be going back to the 1930s. I wasn't about to do that. So enjoy the episode. I hope you're all doing well. And let's just get straight into it. Benjamin Robinson, here we go. Joining me this week on District Divided is a good friend of mine and also the creator of GrindingTheMocks.com, Mr. Benjamin Robinson. Ben, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. I feel like I haven't talked to you in like a few hours. Yeah, it's been a long few hours too. I'm uh, quite dependent on our conversations during the workday. So uh, it feels very soothing and relaxing to hear that wonderful voice of yours again. Um, Why don't we just get straight into it? Tell us a little bit about what Grinding the Mocks is and sort of just how it came to be. Yeah, so, you know, we both work in data. And so, you know, we're, I'm always thinking about, you know, as someone who's interested in, in the world and how we can kind of quantify things and measure things. And I, I think about that in sports a lot because, you know, how much we love to talk sports. And that's why, you know, I love District Divided for sure. Uh, so I listen to every week. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so... I really love the draft is probably because my hometown team is Cincinnati Bengals. And when I was growing up in the 1990s, they were one of the worst teams in football. So really for the most part, the only thing around the Bengals I had to look forward to every year was the draft. Uh, And so it's kind of the great equalizer. And and in my, you know, fandom growing up, it's kind of ebbed and flowed. Whenever the Bengals have had a high first round pick, it's given, you know, new hope to people that the Bengals will may might be good again. Um, So you know, uh, the draft has always been something that I've followed pretty closely. Uh, and when I was in um, college, me and a good friend, when I went to college in Pittsburgh, so my, my best friend from college or one of my best friends was a Steelers fan. And so we'd watch the draft every year and I was sitting on his couch a few years ago. This is the 2018 NFL draft when the Browns selected Baker Mayfield number one. And 
you know, we were talking and we were listening to our, you know, the Mike Mayhawks of the world. Um, and they were saying, you know, things along the lines of, you know, that's a reach or man, I feel like that's a great value. And I said, you know, to my buddy, how do you know that that's real? How do you know that that's actually a value pick? You know, there's probably some, some conventional wisdom there. That's right. I don't deny that these are smart people who know their business, but how do I square about thinking about what a draft reach or a draft value is? And so I came up with this idea for using mock draft to calculate expected draft position. And so grinding the mocks really is a philosophy around, let's think about the draft in a kind of more uh, subject, more objective way, in a less subjective way, because the draft is a really objective kind of exercise for the most part in terms of who the public experts are. Let's take their um, kind of uh, objective data that comes from subjective observation and do more objective things with it. Uh, so that's where grinding the mocks comes from. So basically every year I aggregate, you know, thousands of mock drafts and I come up with for each player a metric that I call expected draft position. And it gives us a sense of where a player will go in the draft. And when we look at kind of post-draft, we look at the actual draft position and we look at expected draft position, they're actually, you know, it's not surprising that they're pretty correlated, but, you know, when you look at the variation in actual draft position, so how much actual draft position goes up and down, how much of it can be explained by what's expected, it turns out that 80% of actual draft position, uh, the variance in that can be explained by uh, expected draft position. So it's actually a very powerful metric, this very basic uh, measure of sort of the, the average uh, expectation of where we think a player will go in the draft. So it gives us kind of a more evidence-based way of saying, hey, you know, this player, based on all these things about him, where do we think he'll go in the draft? And it gives us a sense of, you know, we know that players can go between picks. There's like, they can go between the first round and the second round, or the second round and the third round. This gives us a little bit of a more quantitative uh, way of, of, of saying what that is. So that's all it is. It's just let's take the mock drafts, let's do some data stuff with them, and then let's play with the data because that's what makes it fun. That's absolutely incredible. And how many mock drafts would you say you've collected this year, for example? Um, so this year, I think at this point it's about almost twenty five hundred, um, and so oh it'll it'll God. be uh, it'll be it'll be around that number, I think, by the time uh, we reach Thursday, because this is kind of my my uh, the the final stretch this week. And so I'll be collecting a lot more mock drafts this week um, than I have throughout the year, but it'll probably be around 2,500 is how I think it'll end. Okay. Well, if you have any questions about the man's credentials, I think those can all disappear now because he has taken in over 2,500 mock drafts for grindingthemocks.com, which is a really awesome site. I've definitely played around with the data in there as well. And now you've talked about Joe Burrow is an Ohio kid who's going to be going to Cincinnati. So he's going to be back in state. And Chase Young looks like he's going to be the number two pick uh, for the Washington Redskins, him having a homecoming as well. Could you name some other like prospects that you've looked at from the DMV area and, you know, what colleges they're at and where, you know, they're supposed to go with their expected draft position? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, Chase Young, we'll talk about him later, but he, he doesn't need to have a lot said about him. He should be, you know, a top five pick. And that's been kind of the expectation for him the whole year. Um, so that's not surprising. And, you know, he he's a local guy as well. But some guys that um, it's really surprising when I looked into some of these guys' backgrounds, how many uh, really high-level prospects are from the DMV. Uh, when we normally think of the the powerhouse 
parts of the country that produce really great football players. We think of Florida, we think of Texas, California, you know, the Southeast, um, like Georgia, Alabama, uh, North Carolina, but, but DC has a, and Maryland and Virginia have a lot to say. And so I have four guys that I think potentially could go um, pretty high in the, in the first two rounds. So, you know, number one guy kind of after uh, Chase Young is Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle from South Carolina. And so, you know, when I first looked him up, it said South Carolina. So I didn't think, I thought he must be from South Carolina, but it turns out that he grew up here in DC. He actually is one of the most inspiring stories of a player in this entire draft. Um, you know, his mom, you know, he lived in Northeast DC, which is kind of where I am. Um, he probably lived a little bit further East than me, but you know, he was homeless for quite a bit because at one point his mom moved to, they moved to PG County for um, a job and uh, her situation fell through and, and he was homeless. So he's got a very inspirational story. He should be drafted in the middle of the first round. Uh, defensive tackle from South Carolina. Very, very strong draft process this offseason. Very excited for him. Um, number two is a last name that should be something that people who follow DC sports should remember is Diggs. So the brother, uh, younger brother of Stefan Diggs, Trafon, Tra- Trayvon Diggs, um, out of uh, the Avalon School in Gaithersburg and a cornerback from Alabama. Um, so he's the, like I said, the younger brother of Stefan Diggs, who starred at, at Maryland and, you know, played for the Vikings before he was traded um, for uh, draft picks this offseason to the Buffalo Bills. One of the best wide receivers in the NFL, his, his younger brother uh, will get drafted higher than him. He should be like a late first round, potentially early second round pick. Um, and then a couple more guys. Um, Yetour Gross Matos, defensive end from Penn State. Uh, from Chancellor High School in Spotsylvania. So kind of on the very edge of the DMV, but I still think it counts because you can take that that metro all the way to Spotsylvania, Fredericksburg. Um, so, um, so yeah, so he should be a late first-round pick as well. And then one other guy um, from the St. John's School here in D.C., uh, Alabama outside linebacker Terrell Lewis, who I think will be kind of uh, probably a mid-second-round pick. So it's like four guys and Chase Young. That's pretty incredible. Uh, I think it just speaks to how good the quality of player is here in D.C. And, you know, there should be quite a few guys from local universities like Maryland and UVA. And well, I guess for fans of uh, folks in the area from, you know, Maryland, UVA and Virginia Tech, um, they should all have guys that get drafted out of there as well. But those four guys and then Chase Young, a very strong contingent um, up there with any of the other areas in the country in terms of high level prospects. Man, that's really cool, because like you said, Florida, Texas, California, we're used to seeing high level prospects, you know, come from those states and go all over the country. And, uh, you know, you look at the SEC, for example, or even, um, you know, the Pac-12 at times. And it's cool to see DC or the DMV area as a whole start to represent more, which means if you go to high school games, if you're into that, then you might actually be saying, seeing, excuse me, pro players playing well ahead of their time. So really cool to see. Now let's key in on the team here in the district, which is the Washington Redskins. Now, there are three likely scenarios uh, that could occur with that number two pick. I'd like you to rank them in order of most likely to least likely for me. So the first possibility is drafting Chase Young. The second possibility is drafting Tua Tagovailoa or another quarterback. And the third possibility is trading down. Can you please rank those three scenarios in order of most likely to happen to least likely to happen? So I think what's most likely to happen is they're going to draft Chase Young at number two. It's not what I think is the optimal scenario, but I think that's what's most likely to happen. 
Um, I don't think there's been any reporting that says that they've, I think they fielded calls. So the, the number two likely thing that they'll do, I think is, is trade down. And then number three is select Tua. Um, so I think that there's something to be had in Dwayne Haskins. It's not like a, a Josh Rosen situation from last year where he was demonstrably really awful um, in his rookie year. And uh, the, the Cardinals were like, well, Kyler Murray's right there. We'll, we're selecting number one. Let's draft a quarterback because that's the best player that we can get. Um, I don't think that the situation with Dwayne Haskins was that bad last year. Obviously, rookies usually don't do well. And, you know, I can understand why Jay Gruden was kind of upset because he got fired very early on into the season yeah. um, to trying to keep his job. But yeah, so I think it's going to go Chase Young because I think I don't, I don't I don't think I've heard as much in the media about uh, Washington being involved with um, trade down or even with Tua. I think that'd be a bigger surprise. Trading down would be really interesting, and that's what I think is the the best move, just because they're so bad on offense and they're so bad on defense, um, and they also just need picks. They traded away their second round pick last year to trade back into the first round with the Indianapolis Colts to select defensive end Montez Sweat from Mississippi State. And that second round pick is pick 34, which is basically a first round pick. So it's a very shrewd, yeah, a very shrewd move by the Colts. And so when you have as many uh, problem areas um, on offense and defense as uh, Washington does, I think it would behoove them to trade down to get more picks, especially in the second and third rounds. And so the number two pick is a very valuable pick. And I'm sure we're going to, we're going to talk about, you know, if they were going to trade down what they would get. Um, But, you know, I I think that there's a lot of situations where, you know, if you're going to keep Dwayne Haskins, you know, let's try to help him out. Let's get him some protection in the offensive line. You know, Trent Williams, there's a huge issue there where he's a very, very capable player, but he doesn't want to play for your team. So what are you going to do about that? You need to protect him. And then also, you know, there's an issue with the receiving core. You know, Terry McLaurin was a pleasant surprise. I don't think you can expect to get, you know, an, you in, at his selection where he was last year. You know, I would love to have another wide receiver on this team to really open up the offense and give Dwayne Haskins the support he needs to succeed and then sneakily build up the, the defense, which I think, you know, if you add Chase Young, it's going to make a strength even stronger. But at some point, yeah, I think they need to stop drafting defensive linemen and stop drafting, start drafting cornerbacks um, because the, the pass it's a passing league now. And so you need to protect the passer and then defend the pass. Um, and so to me, trading down would be really optimal for them, but I don't think they're going to do it. I think they're going to stay put and take Chase Young. Okay. And so, you know, I think, you know, you're pretty aware that I've been championing, you know, drafting Tua, for example, because. While I do think Dwayne is good and can be special, I think the likelihood that Tua can be is, you know, through the roof. But you, so again, in terms of what you think they should do, it sounds like you're saying trade down is your number one option. And then what would you rank two versus three? Would you say drafting Tua second or would you say drafting Chase Young second? I would, I would draft Tua second. Um, so to me, it's like the, the, the whole thing about Tua, and I think we've spoken about this so I view Tua Tungavailoa like the Joel Embiid of this draft. I don't know who the Andrew Wiggins of this draft is. I don't think that's Joe Burrow, but uh, but I view him as a Joel Embiid type player. And I'll I'll say it like this: so he is a high variance play. So that means that you know he'll, I think he'll either be really good or he'll be hurt, and that'll be a huge issue. But you still have Dwayne Haskins, so you don't know exactly what you have at quarterback. I agree that you should still try to build around him, 
like I've mentioned before. And that's why the number one option for me is to to get more picks so I can pick more impact players to help protect him and, and give him more weapons on offense. But the upside for Tua, if he does pan out, is really strong. And if Dwayne Haskins is is still a decent prospect, you can still trade him at some point. But the the mantra that I like to believe in is if if you don't know if you have a quarterback, you don't have a quarterback. And it's the most important position on the field. So to me, Tua is a really high high variance pick. And so the, you know the other the third quarterback in the draft in terms of expected draft position is Justin Herbert from Oregon. And so to me, the difference between Tua and Justin Herbert is that Justin Herbert, I think you understand what he can do. His range of expected outcomes in terms of performance in the league, I think is is a little bit narrower. It's probably above average. He'll probably be an above average quarterback. I think he compares to like Mitch Trubisky, who's an above average quarterback, oh, and Jared Goff, who's an above average quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. But then Tua potentially, you know, the, the range of possibility could be, you know, he hurt, gets hurt and he doesn't play a lot to, you know, he could be like, Potentially, I don't want to say Drew Brees or Russell Wilson because that's really high, but he has the possibility to be in like a range of quarterback that's much better than than Justin Herbert. Um, so I think he gets the Brees and Wilson comparisons because he's relatively short. Um, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, so to me, um, if you if you think Dwayne Haskins is the guy, then I think you really just need to draft players around him. Receiver class is really, really deep. Um, and so there's a lot of guys I think that could be had that are helpful. And then, you know, maybe you trade Trent Williams. Maybe that's something they do in this draft. They're dra- trading players in the draft is kind of hard. I've learned because if there's a problem, medically speaking, then you have to figure out a way to get compensated if the medical check fails. So that's why you don't often see players get traded during the draft. They get traded before the draft. Um, and so we're kind of getting really close. So if anything, I think Trent Williams gets traded or released at some point. Um, but ideally you trade him maybe for 2021 draft picks instead of 2020 draft picks, which would be a shame, but it is what it is. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let, let's uh, hone in on you, what you would do, which is trade that pick. Who is most likely to trade with the Redskins for that number two pick? Now we've heard about the Dolphins. We've heard about the Chargers. I don't know about any other dark horse team as of right now, but of those two teams or that dark horse, like who do you think the Redskins could trade that pick to? And what do you think they could actually just get in return for it? So yeah, in addition to the Dolphins and the Chargers, I think the Jaguars have something to say. Um, so they also have a decent amount of draft picks and they say that they like Gardner Minshew, but I think I like Dwayne Haskins better than Gardner Minshew without question. Um, the pedigree is just so much better. And the potential for high-level play is a lot better. So I think the Jaguars could be in there, though they've said like what they've said, but for the most part, you shouldn't believe what people say. They'll they'll just say things just to put out in the world and then play hard to get. And then when they want to make a trade, they they can do it. So the the issue is it's 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 harder to trade up from where the Jaguars are to where the where Washington is. And I'll tell you why. So there's basically two philosophies in trading. And so it starts with uh, what you'll hear is the draft trade value chart. And it was created by Jimmy Johnson, who, you know, just got inducted to the pro football hall of fame, I believe. And he's uh, was the coach for the Cowboys and the Cowboys in during his time as head coach were very cavalier in trading in the draft. And Jerry Jones has a background, believe it or not in oil drilling in, in, in the South, in, in the South. Right. 
And so he made his money by basically having a kind of market advantage in terms of he would go after oil wells that people thought were less likely to have oil in them. So they were cheaper and then he'd hit it rich. So, you know, Jerry Jones has this oil money and the same guy who helped him find these oil wells was the guy who came up with this draft chart. It's called the Jimmy Johnson chart because Jimmy Johnson was the main user. He was kind of the, along with Jerry Jones, they made all the selections. And so what they did was they took every draft pick and they gave it a value. And so every draft pick has a value. So for example, in the Jimmy Johnson chart, the number two pick has a value of 2,600 points. So in order to trade, and so they originally were the only people who had this chart. So they made tons of trades, very, very lucrative trades. And so in some ways, this chart is a little outdated, but it's still being used around the league. So 2,600 points for the, the number two pick. In the in the traditional Jimmy Johnson chart, if the Dolphins, who have three first-round picks, wanted to trade up to the number two pick in the Jimmy Johnson chart system, they would need to trade pick five, which is worth 1,700 points, and they need to trade pick 18, which is worth 900 points. Um, so it's honestly, I think that's a bit outdated. I think that if the Redskins were going to make a trade for the, that selection, I think people would be disappointed. Um, I think that, you know, also, honestly, I think they probably want, they want more picks and maybe they would add in some, some second round picks. So there are other ways of thinking about draft trade, uh, draft trade value charts. So there's a guy named Chase Stewart who created a, his own system based on kind of more recent trade data and the value of picks. And so he values the number two pick at 30.2 points on his scale. And so if we were to make the trade for, this five and 18 pick that the dolphins have, they also have pick 26, then that would equal, I'm doing like really quick math here. It would be equal 30.5 points. So it's still, that's the, the kind of haul you would have to expect from the dolphins five and 18. So if you're comfortable with getting five and 18, which I think is actually, it's not bad. Um, but to me, I'd, I'd want some more second round picks So the chargers, for example, to make that kind of move, it would be pick six and pick 37 um, and so that would equal around like 32 points, um, just because the, of the way that the, the math works. So, you know, the, either way getting five and 18 for number two is actually a really good value. Um, but, but yeah, so the draft trade chart, those are the things that teams use. And so the Jimmy Johnson chart is the most classic one. And so five plus 18 equals two, and that may seem a little antithetical to people, but that's what the research does and that's what it says and that's what a lot of teams use they use that chart cool and so let's say the redskins did trade down you've mentioned okay so if it's with the dolphins i assume that they would probably take uh jeff okuda because then i would assume the lions would take chase young and it sounds like the giants are leading isaiah simmons right now now if they traded to the chargers for example that's pick six let's say okuda goes five or i'm sorry in that case i guess somebody else would go five but then would you go like Jerry Judy? You're talking about putting explosive wide receivers around for Dwayne Haskins. Would you do that? Or it is a deep wide receiver class we've heard. So like someone like KJ Hill or KJ Hamler goes down the line. What would you do around pick six if you had traded with the Chargers, for example? So to me, if you're trading to six, I think there's a decent chance that Isaiah Simmons is there. Oh, okay. Um, so I think he's really great. Um, yeah, his expected draft position is around six. Um, so he's kind of a, a really new kind of player in this league where, you know, at, in, at Clemson, um, they had him playing at a bunch of different positions. 
So he played at, at safety. Uh, he played linebacker. He actually played slot cornerback. He occasionally even rushed um, the passer and did all those things. He actually did very well in coverage. So um, Simmons is is a really great player. I, I think that he would be a great addition to the team if you're on defense. Um, at that point in the draft, at six, you should also be able to get any of the offensive tackles you want. So to me, at pick six, you could get Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, who, you know, I think he's a better prospect than Brandon Scherf. He projects to be kind of a, a potential bookend left tackle on the team, which would be huge. And then, you know, at, with the Chargers, you'd probably have to get a second round pick and and you could pick um, Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State, who, you know, I think could be in the first round, but could also be in the early second round or Jalen Rager. You could you can get a, a really nice wide receiver at pick 30, uh, 38 or 37, um, whichever pick that the, the Chargers have in the second round. So to me, I'd rather have Simmons and a wide receiver or Tristan Wirfs and a wide receiver than just Chase Young, where I have positions that's pretty got a lot of depth there. And so you're making a strength even stronger. But at what point do you stop drafting first round defensive linemen? When you have Deron Payne, you have Jonathan Allen on the final year of a deal. You have Ryan Kerrigan, you have Matt Ioannidis, like, you have guys. And Montez like, Sweat can also rush, and he actually had a pretty yeah, good Yeah, Montez Sweat. Year. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's a good point. Yeah. Like, when do you stop? So it is a very tricky question. I think Chase Young, being from the area, has a certain pull to it as well. Being teammates with Dwayne Haskins also has a certain pull to it. So it's a, it's a very interesting and sort of unique situation that the Redskins are in. I can understand. And I understand where you're coming from with the trade down idea. Out of curiosity, you said Isaiah Simmons at six. In that scenario... Who would the Giants be taking it for? I think it's one of the offensive tackles. Um, so David Gettleman, the general manager of the New York Giants, has never traded down in a draft like at any point ever that he's done, whether it was when it was with the Panthers or with the, the Giants. He's traded up, but he's never traded down. So if he traded down, it would kind of be a departure from the norm for him. Um, so, you know, any of the offensive tackles, um, or Isaiah Simmons could be the pick there as well. Right. Uh, but in this situation, if I think he isn't, then, you know, Tristan Wirfs, Jedrick Wills, Makai Becton, and Andrew Thomas. So Jedrick Wills from Alabama, Tristan Wirfs, who I said before, from Iowa, Makai Becton from Louisville, and Andrew Thomas from Georgia. Um, those are the top four offensive tackles, and I project them to be, you know, top 15 picks in this draft. Um, the offensive tackle position and the wide receiver position, there could be that could make up like half the first round potentially wow. uh, of players. It probably won't be that much, but it could be, I think it could be like 13 um, offensive tackles and wide receivers taken in the first round. And I wouldn't be surprised. Um, so it, it would be quite a, quite a, quite a scene, but that's where the strength in this draft class is um, offensive tackle and wide receiver. Fair enough. Well, yeah, I mean, then in that case, it would make a lot of sense to trade down. I guess I'm sort of of the belief that when you can get a surefire talent, you know, I think it's very hard to find what we'll call maybe presidential talents instead of generational. I think that's an overused term. Presidential being like once every four years or so. We had Miles Garrett a little while back. Now we have Chase Young. When you can get a guy like that, that seems very surefire, that seems like he could be a perennial pro bowler, you do that because the rest of it seems to be a little bit more of a crapshoot. Or if you can get that's superstar potential quarterback to roll the dice in Tua. Um, but I understand what you're saying with the trade down. Now, last week, we had a guest, Kadeen Wiggins, who, diehard Skins fan, knows his stuff. He highlighted five different players. Um, now, there is Tyler Biadish, and these, this is for the later rounds, uh, might I add, 
for the Redskins. Tyler Biotis, who's a center from Wisconsin. Ben Bart, well, I guess you know all this. Ben Barch, guard from St. John's in Minnesota. Davion Taylor, linebacker. Ashton Davis, safety, Cal. And Van Jefferson, wide receiver. Where in your data are those five players going, if, if you know? So, yeah. So, I don't say that I know. Because the whole thing with the mock drafts is that it's all based on public information. So there's a lot of information that we're not privy to around medicals, around character stuff. Some of that stuff comes out, some of it doesn't. And also it could be that teams or the mock drafts have a very different idea of player evaluation than teams do. So let's do a quick rundown of the Redskins picks. So they have pick number two in the first round. They have pick 66, which is in the third round. They lost that second round pick in the trade last year. Um, They have two picks in the fourth round, 108 and 142. They have a pick in the fifth round and then two seventh round picks. So when I say that they don't have a lot of picks in this draft in the upper range, it's just really true. Um, You really don't hit on players in the fourth round and after that much. So that's a big issue. So in terms of the guys that, you know, that Kadeem brought up, the first one was Tyler Biotis. So Tyler Biotis, like, it's a real interesting story because at the beginning of the season, I think he was thought of as a first round pick. And I think he might have been hurt this year. And then also his play kind of wasn't as strong. I kind of thought he would have come out last year and he might have been the first offensive lineman taken. So it's sort of a situation where he probably should have gone last year because right now I have his expected draft position kind of in the third round, um, anywhere between, you know, around, around 75. So that's kind of like in the, and so to be honest, he should be available at the Redskins third round pick because, you know, they, they have that. They don't have that second round pick. So He's available, I think it'd be at the kind of top of his range, but he'll be there. Um, In terms of Ben Barch from St. John's, so we didn't know anything about him, and then he showed up at the Senior Bowl, and he did really well. So normally you would expect this guy to be like more undrafted or very, very late rounds, but I also have him somewhere in the third round. So the problem is because Washington has, you know, those picks at 104 or 142, you know, I don't think that Ben Barch will be there. I think that it'll be in the third round. And so 106 is the last pick in the in the third round. Um, and so if they were to draft Ben Barch, if they wanted him that badly, they'd have to draft him at 66, which I think is, is a little bit of a, a reach in terms of uh, his talent, which is why you want to get more picks. So if you had more picks, I would say, hey, like, let's throw a dart at a guy. He's a good player. He has, a, he has some some opportunities to, we'll see how he plays with, with pros, but he played really well at the senior bowl. Um, so then you mentioned Davion Taylor, linebacker from Colorado. Um, he's a guy who I think will be available at in the fifth round. I have his expected draft position at 174. He's a really interesting story as well. His parents um, were are Seventh-day Adventists, and so he actually didn't play high school football at all. He played on a team, but he never played in a game. Um, and so when he became 18, they told him he can make his own decisions. And this is like another really interesting story, but he went to a junior college and then ended up at Colorado. And so he really hasn't played a lot of football. He played um, at the senior bowl as well and caught some people's eyes. But the main thing about him was he ran really well at the combine. Um, and so that helps because they, the NFL values speed and athleticism at linebacker quite a bit more than, you know, you're running downhill uh, stopping the run type of linebacker. So he'd probably be available um, at the at their fifth round pick, which is 148. Uh, then you mentioned Ashton Davis uh, from from Cal. Um, and so he's another guy. So so those are 
I think all these guys actually played at the senior bowl to be totally honest. Now that I think about it. Um, so Ashton Davis safety from Cal, I think that he was thought of as a second round pick, but now he's more of a third round pick. I think there's some other safeties who also played at the senior bowl who kind of overshadowed him. So I have his expected draft position as 68. So that is third round. So once again, those are three guys who I think if you wanted to take them, you'd, you'd have to take them at 66. And this is the problem where when you have so few draft picks, if you like a guy, there's such a huge weight between when you pick at 66 and then when you pick at 104 that if there's a guy you really want, you know, you might have to trade up and sacrifice future draft capital, but you don't want to do that. So to me, that's why trading down is so helpful. If you can accrue picks in the second round, you can fill some of these spots on your team. Um, and that, that's the thing about Chase Young. We know he's going to be good. He's also at a less valuable like premier position. So people think of defensive end as a very premier position, but that's just because they watch football on television and that's all, all you can see. Um, it turns out that cornerback is actually a really valuable position as well. Um, and so uh, Washington is, is has has problems at cornerback. So, but Ashton Davis is is, a, is thought of as a very good safety. He can cover fairly well. I think he's more known as a run player, but he's very athletic. Um, and then the last guy is Van Jefferson, a wide receiver from Florida. So he had a great Senior Bowl as well. He's thought of as kind of a very kind of mature player in terms of his game. Um, but the problem is, is that the combine they found a medical issue, and so that's an issue for him. Um, and so his extracted draft position is 114. So I think that he could be available um, with one of the the fourth round picks. Um, so I think it'll probably be the earlier fourth round pick if you want to have him, uh, but he's available to them in, in their fourth round range. So, you know, he had Beatus in the third round, Barch in the third round, Taylor in the fifth round, Davis in the third round, and Jefferson in the fourth round. Uh, so, so those are the guys that, you know, that Kadeem mentioned and, yeah, I think that they're the problem is they just don't have enough picks. You can't take all of these guys. You only have three picks after the first round at 66, 104, 142 in the third and the fourth round. And, and those are some late picks. And it's just rough when you see this team that needs to get better at a lot of places, how they can do that with the kind of draft picks that they have. And that's why trading, I think, would be a positive development for them. Uh, and, and I think it could help out Dwayne Haskins a lot because we need to protect him and give him offensive weapons so that we can see how good he really is um, so that we know what kind of quarterback we have. Um, and so if we don't know what type of quarterback we have, we can continue to kind of go down the road of mediocrity or even below average play. Um, and then we know we're nowhere better, nowhere, nowhere better than we are today. Um, and then if you have Chase Young, you know, you have a good player, but there are plenty of great pass rushers who played on bad teams. I mean, just look at JJ Watt. Um, imagine, how good the Texans could have been if they had drafted a quarterback earlier. You know, they've only recently gotten better with the addition of Deshaun Watson. J.J. Watts played at a high level, one of the best players in the league for years, but they never were that good, um, good as, as good as they are now, really. The potential they have with Watson is sky high. And maybe Haskins will turn into that kind of player, but we just don't know yet. But we need to figure it out. We need to figure it out fast. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, and uh, I wonder if the Redskins, knowing that, might make some moves to get more picks in those later rounds, as you said. So who knows? Maybe that trade down from two is with the team, and you do end up acquiring more mid-round picks there to be able to get guys, like you said, you know, like Tyler Biotis, Ben Barch, Davion Taylor, Ashton Davis, Van Jefferson, that Kadeen had pointed out. Just, you know, before we wrap up, any other players you could see the Redskins taking besides those guys that Kadeen mentioned? 
Um, you know, not off the top of my head. I'm not really as strong about saying this player fits what a certain team does, but I'll tell you what we know about the Redskins from last season. So there's a metric called Pythagorean wins, and it just looks at kind of the high-level statistics, and it says how many wins based off of teams that have had this type of statistical profile, how many wins should they have? And the Redskins' actual win total versus their Pythagorean win total were pretty much the same, around three games. So they are what we thought they were. They're bad in a lot of areas. So, you know, to me, you know, Dwayne Haskins represents the future of the team. Uh, and so, like I said, to me, the more players that you can build around him, the better. And that's why I'm an advocate of, of trading down as much as they can here, because, you know, there's a new um, there's a new uh, regime in town. It's sort of the same regime, right? Because Dan Snyder is still there. But, um, you know, you need to do more to help Dwayne Haskins. So there's some offensive tackles, you know, I think that are decent projects that could be available at that point in the draft. Um, you know, I think, like you said, Ben Barch, he's more of a guard. Let's get a tackle. Let's take a shot on some tackles. You know, I said wide receiver um, is really high. I think that there could be an impact wide receiver available in the third round, like a Chase, well, not a Chase Claypool, but Gabriel Davis I really like from Central Florida. I think he could be really good. Um, you know, and to me, like third round wide receiver, that's kind of the the, the end of how where you can get really good wide receivers, I think, or at least guys that could be good because of how good this wide receiver class is. So I say, you know, check out Gabriel Davis. I like him quite a bit in terms of offensive tackle at that spot as well. Um, you know, Lucas Niang from Texas Christian could be a guy that's available in the third round. Um, I think that he is a shot on being pretty good. Prince Tego Winogo. Uh, I think he could probably could go in the top 100 uh, as well from Auburn. So, you know, I said Gabriel Davis, uh, I said, uh, Prince Tego Winogo and Lucas Niang, if you're looking for offensive tackles. Um, and if I think of another wide receiver, let me look at my my data real quick for the third round for wide receiver. Donovan Peoples-Jones is in there. Chase Claypool from Notre Dame. Uh, Chase Claypool from Notre Dame I think would be great for the Redskins, actually. Um, he's a really big wide receiver. Some people think of him as a tight end, but then when he ran at the combine, it was pretty electric. Um, so, yeah, Chase Claypool, Gabriel Davis. I'm a big fan of both of them. Um, and then, like I said, Lucas Niang, Prince Tega Winogo, um, respectively. I think those guys could all be really good third-round selections um, to, to add more to help Dwayne Haskins in, in any number of ways. Well, you talk about third-round wide receivers helping out Dwayne Haskins, and Skins fans need to look no further than last year when they drafted scary Terry McLaurin in the third round. So I think they know all about value in the third round at the wide receiver position. Ben Robinson, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. The floor is yours. How can we find you? Where can we interact with you? So, yeah, so I definitely recommend checking out grindingthemocks.com. Uh, so that's that's where you can see a lot of this information. And if you really are interested in what I have to say about the draft, you can find me on Twitter at B-E-N-J underscore Robinson. Beautiful. And uh, I can also attest to this. Ben is very active on social media. If you have a question and reach out to him, he's going to get back to you and he's happy to engage in any sort of conversation of that matter. So Ben Robinson, thanks again so much and enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks. Dwayne Haskins film breakdown part two. Let's recap the grades from last week first. 
It was a C plus B minus at Buffalo. That's a really tough place to play in general, and it's even tougher as your first ever NFL start. So not a terrible grade there. It's just a difficult place to play. And so two weeks later, at home against the New York Jets, they're not a very good team, but the Washington Redskins were just awful that day, and it starts with Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. He got a C minus, maybe a C that day, just his worst performance as a starter. And then the Detroit game, he rebounds nicely, finishing with a B minus or B and his first ever W as an NFL starter. So what about these final four games? How did he do in them? Because everyone keeps talking about how he improved leaps and bounds. Did he really? Did he really do enough to convince everybody that he can be the starter for the foreseeable future and beyond? We get into it right now, starting at Carolina. I want to highlight just a couple drives, actually, this time, because there were some really good ones. So we start at the start of the second quarter, down 14-3. to It's second and two at the Skins' 43-yard line, and Haskins has a three-step drop from the gun. It's one read, and the ball's out in two seconds. Really nice play. He hits Steven Sims in stride on a slant for 14 yards. The very next play, I was excited by this. First and 10, it's a running back screen to Darius Geis, and it gets sniffed out. Now, last week, we kept talking about how he would tuck that ball and go the opposite direction and try and gain yards. This time, he throws the ball away. He avoids a hit. There's no loss of yards. It's a mature play. And I just love seeing that. I love seeing that progression. So now it's second and 10. And like that second and two he had just completed, it's a three-step drop from the gun. It's one read and the ball is out again in two seconds. And again, it's Steven Sims, this time on a slot curl for four yards. It leads to a third and six. And Haskins from the gun takes the snap, surveys the field and hits Jeremy Sprinkle over the middle, throwing it over the middle linebacker for a huge first down to the Carolina 26 yard line. Folks, this throw was a thing of beauty. Now. There was great blocking on this play, but Haskins took full advantage here. Again, surveying the field, dumping that ball over the middle linebacker perfectly to Sprinkle. He went through his progression, set his feet, and delivered a beautiful ball that only Sprinkle could get. Now, the drive ended in a field goal after a couple incompletions and a third down scramble, but overall, very good plays from Haskins to lead them down the field on this drive to score and cut Carolina's lead down to eight, 14 to six. Positive drive number two comes with under a minute to play in the first half down two this time. A Fabian Moreau interception led to a Darius Geis one-yard touchdown run earlier to make the score 14-12. to So, 51 seconds left. There were three straight plays where Haskins made fantastic throws. Play number one, second and two, something about that. Second and two at the Skins 41 and something about Steven Sims. It's a Steven Sims speed out to the left for 11 yards, going to the Carolina 48-yard line. The next play, a strike down the middle to Kelvin Harmon for 20 yards. And the next play after that, a corner out from Chris Thompson for 15 yards. So we've gone to the left, we've gone to the middle, we've gone to the right in three straight plays. Now the drive here ends with a blocked field goal. But again, it's a great looking drive from Haskins. The second half... It was the Darius Geis and Adrian Peterson show, people. Darius Geis finished with 10 carries for 129 yards and two touchdowns, including a nasty stiff arm on Shaq Thompson on his way to the end zone. Adrian Peterson, 13 carries for 99 yards and a touchdown. The final score, Redskins 29, Panthers 14. Haskins, 13 for 25, 
for 147 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, but his grade is a B plus. He had two impressive drives in the first half that we highlighted, and he efficiently managed the game and didn't ever turn the ball over. When you're on the road, in order to win, you need to make sure you don't turn the ball over, and that's exactly what he did in just his fourth NFL start. And it's his first ever NFL road W as a starter, so can't knock that at all. B plus is the grade. Now there were some negatives. He did take five sacks, and the team went three for 11 on third down. So definitely room for improvement, but all in all, a good game. Now, at Green Bay, very few positives in this one, and it's partly because Green Bay's pass rush was relentless in this game. We go to the second quarter, down 14-0, 4.35 left, third and 13 from the Packers' 32-yard line. Haskins, from the gun, stands tall for three seconds. This was about the most time he had all game. Stands tall for three seconds and delivers a perfect ball to Calvin Harmon over the middle backer, past the first down marker, and Harmon takes it down to the Packers' two-yard line. So similar to last week's game, well, the one at Carolina, throwing it over that middle backer, he did it again to Calvin Harmon this time. So he's starting to develop a nice little habit there, a good one. The next play is an Adrian Peterson touchdown. Haskins in this game. 16 for 27 for 170 yards and a touchdown, which was just a spectacular one-handed catch from Terry McLaurin, but it was a garbage time. He also had an interception. The grade is a C. Down 14 to six with a minute left, the ball was at midfield. He took a bad sack that would have ended the drive, but got bailed out by a defensive illegal substitution call. Unfortunately, the very next play was an interception to end the half. It was a bad weak throw to the outside. Terry McLaurin didn't even get his first catch until 2.40 left in the third quarter. That is just unacceptable. You gotta let your playmakers make plays. Haskins never looked comfortable in this game. The Green Bay pass rush got to him, and without a strong running game this week, Peterson, I think, had 20 carries for 75 yards or something like that, he had too much of the load to carry on his own. It's a tall order for a rookie. Again, it's at Green Bay, so it's not the easiest environment, but only the one positive, really, aside from a spectacular McLaurin touchdown. Now, back at home against the Philadelphia Eagles, division rivalry. He looked much better in this one. The first quarter, down three, 123 to go. It's a quick slant to McLaurin, who does the rest. It's a one-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. McLaurin did all the work, but hey, a touchdown's a touchdown. Even sweeter against a division rival. Haskins did what he needed to do on that throw. And what did we say last week? Playmakers make plays. And that's what Terry McLaurin did. Now fast forward a bit to eight minutes left in the second quarter. Now down three again after the Eagles respond with a Miles Sanders touchdown. We run an option play and Haskins fakes the pitch to Peterson, which completely fools Brandon Graham, defensive end for the Eagles. And then he pitches it after they've passed Brandon Graham. And it ends up going for about 10, 15 yards. I just thought it was a very cool play. I thought it was very brilliant recognition and timing by Haskins there. So not a throw, but just a little pitch and I loved it. Third and goal from the five yard line, it's a back shoulder touchdown in the middle of the end zone to Steven Sims. It's Haskins' first red zone passing touchdown of his career, putting the Redskins up four. So we're on start number five, and he's finally thrown his first red zone passing touchdown. That is huge, and it's nice that it finally happened. Still up four with 50 seconds left, the Skins are now at their own 49 yard line. 
Haskins keeps backpedaling and throws off his back foot to a wide open Steven Sims and there just isn't enough juice on it. This is the kind of play that can change a game. You need to make that throw. You need to be able to step into it, take a hit if you need to, and complete the pass because when you're up four with 50 seconds left against a desperate Eagles team, you gotta find a way to extend that lead before the half and that just did not happen. So now we're gonna fast forward to the end of the third quarter. There's a minute to go. Third and one from the Eagles 37 yard line. It's another option play, which Haskins fakes again. He keeps it this time and gets down to the Eagles 13 yard line for a gain of 24. And the drive ends in a nine yard Adrian Peterson touchdown run, putting the skins up four near the start of the fourth quarter. Now, Haskins leads a couple more field goal drives, but the Skins ultimately fall to a Greg Ward Jr. touchdown with under 30 seconds left. And on the final play of the game, the Eagles score another touchdown. Haskins was in desperation mode and ends up losing a fumble that the Eagles return for a touchdown. So the final score is 37-27. Eagles, Haskins 19 of 28 for 261 yards and two touchdowns and three carries for 26 yards and that lost fumble on the last play of the game. The grade here is a B plus. Three of his incompletions were drops. So that 19 for 28 could have been 22 for 28. And he was very accurate throughout the afternoon. He only took one sack, so another positive there. And he kept them in the game and the Eagles made one more play than the Skins did. And that's just the truth of it. Dwayne played very, very well in this game. He had a very strong start to it, a strong middle, and it just, again, if he had made that game-changing play, that throw to Steven Sims, instead of being on his back foot who knows this could have been a dub it was a solid game and it would have been an a or minus or an a with a win the final game the new york giants he only played a half unfortunately but it was near perfect opening drive down seven already first and second down get nothing from that running game that he's used to getting so it's third and ten he hits steven sims my goodness steven sims for a first down on an out route now it's second and nine. Again, nothing on first and 10 on the Redskins 49 yard line. It's a play action pass over the middle to Terry McLaurin, who takes it down to the Giants 17 yard line. Third and three from the Giants 10 now. This is beautiful. Haskins from the gun drops back and the pocket begins collapsing on his right side. So what does he do? He steps up, he rolls to his left and he delivers a perfect ball to that man again, Steven Sims, for the 10-yard touchdown. It was brilliant improvisation. His eyes were always downfield, even as he was rolling to his left. And you can't do it any better than Haskins did on this play because the ball placement was perfect too. Now, moving on to the next drive. We're down seven again. Third and four from the Skins 31. It's a quick curl to Jeremy Sprinkle for a first down, probably like six or seven yards on that play. Now it's second and seven from the Giants 34. Play action pass to Kelvin Harmon down to the Giants 21 yard line. It was a nice throw down the middle. The play action worked beautifully and Haskins on his one read delivered the ball perfectly. After a loss of two on first down, Haskins delivers a good high ball to wide receiver Cam Sims. There you go, shout out Cam Sims. For a first down on second and 12, taking the ball down to the Giants eight yard line. This ball was indefensible. It was absolutely perfect. Cam Sims is huge. The corner is just way too small. It's a physical matchup nightmare for the corner. 
Nothing you could do about that. So perfect throw by Haskins. Now second and goal from the six yard line. It's a touchdown to Hale Henches on another play action pass, this time on a quarter route. It's another great ball from Haskins, who is on fire through this point. Two drives, two touchdowns, both red zone actually. So let's fucking go. And the next drive, down seven again. Haskins throws his first incompletion of the game with 6.35 left in the second quarter. Ball was a bit late to McLaurin. I just wanted to highlight it because his first incompletion of the game came with 6.35 left in the second quarter. That is major progress here from Haskins overall. And the first play of the third quarter, again, I told you he only played half, technically played one extra play because on this one, he gets hurt on a very avoidable sack that ends his game and effectively his season because there was only one game remaining after this one. Haskins, 12 of 15 for 133 yards and two touchdowns. The grade, an A-. The only reason it isn't an A is because he took that sack. He had those two red zone passing touchdowns. Accuracy was on point once again. The decision making was even better than the week before. He showed significant improvement across the board, and it's unfortunate not to see how this game would have played out with him not getting hurt. I genuinely wonder if the Redskins would have won that game. And I gotta add this too, it's a divisional opponent. So whenever you play well against a divisional opponent, it is a bit of a bump up for you. So once again, starting with the Carolina Panthers, the grade there, a B plus. Against the Green Bay Packers, the grade there, a C, not good enough. Against the Eagles, a B plus and a really, really good game, honestly. A minus or A if they had gotten the W. And against the Giants, an A minus. And honestly, I think it probably would have been an A if he had been able to continue playing. So now the question you might be asking yourself, did Dwayne Haskins do enough to convince me to switch my stance on drafting Tua? Somewhat. I think he was very impressive in those final four games, and I think he was actually even more impressive than I was expecting. I'd heard about it, and I decided to watch it again, and he really did get better from an accuracy perspective. That is something that is very important to me in my quarterback play that I want to see, and Haskins showed that at the end. I wonder if it can be consistent. Again, the Eagles and Giants, division rivals, which is awesome, awful pass defenses awful. So I can't help but feel that that had something to do with it, but at the same time, is that Haskins' fault? He can only play against what's in front of him, and he did very, very well. Now the Green Bay game and New York Jets game, those concern me, because in games where you're not going to have your running game, you still got to be able to make plays, and Haskins did not. You know, in those other games, again, at Carolina, Detroit, he has that running game to help him out. The encouraging sign was against the New York Giants, he did not have that running game, and he was doing very, very well. But again, that pass defense was poor, so I'm left in this very sort of confused state where I want to believe in him, but at the same time, when it comes to a guy like Tua who has that elite accuracy, that's sort of like that Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, how can you pass that up if you know that's what he's going to be? And that's the question. Do they feel that Tua is going to be that? It seems like the answer is no. And because of that, I totally understand taking Chase Young. He seems to be the safer choice, and you are getting that presidential talent at pick number two. So why not go with it? Why not roll with a guy that is from the area and wants to be here? I get it. 
I still think at the end of the day, they're going to miss out on Tua. I think Tua is going to be a superstar. But let's see how Dwayne progresses. Let's see how he does. Let's see what weapons are put around him. And let's see how that offensive line looks because he can be spectacular. He really can. Those final four games were very impressive. And I do hope that he ends up turning the corner and becoming one of those elite quarterbacks in the league. With the NFL draft starting this Thursday, I thought it would be kind of fun to go back and look at the Redskins past drafts and see what I felt the best draft move was and what the worst draft move was. Now, I didn't want to go back too far because otherwise I'm going back to like 1937 or something like that. So I decided to look back in the past 20, 25 years, so my lifetime basically, to see what I felt the best was and the worst was. So let's begin with the best one. I'm going to go with the infamous Ricky Williams trade in 1999. So Ricky Williams was a running back from the University of Texas, and the guy just ran for 29 touchdowns his senior year. And the New Orleans Saints fell in love with him. Now, the issue was they had picked 12 overall in that 1999 NFL draft, and they knew they had to get into the top five to get him. And the Redskins were sitting at pick five, so they decided to make a trade with them, and the Redskins agreed to do so. Here's what happened in that trade. The Saints, of course, received the number five pick. That's all they received. The Redskins, meanwhile, got the following. The Saints' first round pick, which was number 12 overall. They got the Saints' third round pick, fourth round pick, fifth round pick, sixth round pick, seventh round pick, 2000 NFL draft first round pick from the Saints, which ends up being number two overall, and the 2000 third round pick from the Saints. So they effectively got all the draft picks from the Saints in 1999 and two picks, high ones, the first round pick and third round pick in the year 2000 for that NFL draft. What the Redskins then did was they traded up with Chicago to number seven overall in the 1999 draft, giving up a number of picks, including the Saints first round pick, so that number 12 overall they had received, the Saints third round pick, and their own fourth and fifth round picks. And with this pick, they took Champ Bailey, cornerback from Georgia, who was a fantastic player throughout his career. Unfortunately, the Redskins traded him to Denver in 2004 due to a contract dispute and did get Clinton Portis in return, who was very good for the Redskins. But that's besides the point. The Redskins got Champ Bailey for about four or five years, and he made the Pro Bowl four times with them from 2000 to 2003. Champ Bailey was also a 12-time Pro Bowler overall, a three-time first-team All-Pro player, a four-time second-team All-Pro player, named to the NFL 2000's All-Decade team, and was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame last year in 2019. So, phenomenal player, amazing return alone from this trade. But they ended up getting more. Again, with the Chicago Bears, they traded their own second-round pick and the Saints' fifth-round pick for the Bears' second-round pick number 37 overall in the 1999 NFL Draft. And with this pick, they took John Jansen, right tackle from Michigan. Jansen would go on to have 10 very solid and productive years for the Redskins, including being named to second-team All-Pro in 2005, which is awesome for a second-round pick. Between him and Chris Samuels, left tackle from Alabama, and the number three overall pick in 2000, they were known as one of the best tackle tandems in the league. Chris Samuels, who I just mentioned, was a six-time Pro Bowler for the Redskins and inducted into the Redskins' ring of fame this past season at halftime against the San Francisco 49ers. So, so far, we've got Champ Bailey, we've got John Jansen. 
Now, I'd mentioned that number two overall pick that they received from the Saints in 2000. That ended up being LeVar Arrington, linebacker out of Penn State, and he was awesome for the Redskins. He was a three-time Pro Bowler, two-time second-team All-Pro. He was named to the 80 Greatest Redskins, which is the list of the 80 Best Redskins players on their 80th anniversary in 2012. And Chris Samuels was also on that list, by the way. So, just a phenomenal return, getting Champ Bailey, John Jansen, LeVar Arrington, and then if you include the number three overall pick from 2000 that the Redskins earned, I mean, Chris Samuels was arguably one of the best left tackles ever. He was phenomenal. And between John Jansen and Chris Samuels, they were one of the best tandems, tackle tandems in the league. So I'm going to go with that Ricky Williams trade because of the return of Champ Bailey, John Jansen, LeVar Arrington, and when you include Chris Samuels, four amazing players for the Skins. Now, honorable mention, Ryan Kerrigan, Trent Williams, and of course, Sean Taylor, who would have been, in my opinion, one of the best safeties, if not the best safety in the NFL, had his life not been cut short. Rest in peace, Sean Taylor. Now, on to the worst draft move. Many people might disagree with me on this one, but I'm going to go to that 2005 NFL draft. The NFL draft was scheduled to begin on April 23rd, and it did. But four days before the draft, the Redskins traded up with Denver to get their first round pick, number 25 overall, and they gave up a 2006 first round pick, third round pick, and fourth round pick, which is quite a bit to give up to move in to a draft and a first round where people were questioning the level of talent that exists there in that draft. So interesting move by the Redskins. And with that pick, they took Jason Campbell, quarterback out of Auburn. Now, it's a bit unfair to call this the worst draft move because Campbell had to deal with revolving offensive coordinators throughout his career with the Redskins, but he also was, he never really showed that he could have been elite or excellent. He was good and sometimes only average and sometimes below average, but the real ball buster is that pick 24, the one right before the Redskins, was Aaron Rodgers, quarterback from Cal. I think you guys know that name, and he could have been a Washington Redskin, and he could have been one at pick nine, where the Redskins took a Rodgers. First name was Carlos, though, cornerback out of Auburn as well, so an Auburn draft there. And it hurts even more to know that the Redskins had traded into the first round targeting, and it came out later, they were targeting Jason Campbell. So to rate Jason Campbell over Aaron Rodgers, knowing what we know now, hindsight is twenty twenty. Monday morning quarterbacking is a very real thing, but it hurts. And therefore, it becomes the worst draft move because at pick nine, if you know that you're looking for a quarterback, why not take the guy that was fighting with Alex Smith to be the number one overall pick? I still remember it like it was yesterday. Sports Center local news, everyone would cover. Is it Alex Smith or is it Aaron Rodgers? Those were the two guys being discussed for the number one pick. And instead, with pick number nine, you take a corner, Carlos Rodgers, who was fine. But then with pick 25, Jason Campbell, who I guess they wanted. That's just poor evaluation, in my opinion, looking back. Because Campbell was average, maybe a bit above at times, but also below. But to miss out on Aaron Rodgers, I mean, what could have been for this franchise. They were one pick away. An honorable mention for worst draft move has to go to RG3, unfortunately. 
I'm not going to say it was the worst because of that spectacular 2012 season that he had given us. I mean, that was so much fun. Every single week, you just felt like the guy was going to do something electric, and it ended up leading to being Offensive Rookie of the Year that year. And we won the division against the Dallas Cowboys at home. I was at that game, and it was so fun to be at. And had that injury not happened, who knows? Maybe it could have been our best draft move. Maybe he'd still be quarterback, but... Is what it is. These things happen. Let's see how the Redskins fare this time around. And hopefully their next best draft move comes this year. And that'll wrap it up over here, folks. Thanks again for listening to another episode of District Divided. A special thanks to Ben Robinson for coming on and talking about Grinding the Mocks. Again, that's grindingthemocks.com. And you can follow him on Twitter at Benj, B-E-N-J underscore Robinson. He was a fantastic guest and grindingthemocks.com seriously if you're an nfl nut or anything like that check it out see where your favorite player is going next week we are going to be talking about the draft we're going to break it down a little bit and do whatever else comes to mind i honestly have no idea but in the meanwhile polypolo why don't you do your thing and take us away i spent my whole damn life in the city anywhere i go dc's coming with me i spent my whole damn life in the city Anywhere I go, DC's coming with me